Welcome to Real Estate Investing Unscripted, a podcast from Fund That Flip, where we explore some of the most creative, innovative, and inspiring stories from the real estate investor community. With expert tips and success stories you won't hear anywhere else, you'll come away with inspiration on how to improvise in the unscripted world that is real estate investing so that you can dominate your next real estate deal. Now your host, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rodak, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip. And I'm super excited about our guest today. He's a friend. He's a client. He has an incredible vision for his city of Pittsburgh, PA. He is Daniel Berkowitz, CEO of Atlas Development Co. Welcome to the show, Mr. Berkowitz. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So, so thanks for being with us. I remember, I remember when we we first met. I, I want to say it was back in like 2015, 2016. Uh, we were both just getting our businesses going, and, and I'll never forget one of our investors, someone that was investing actually on our platform, uh, called me up and was like, "You know, you should meet my son-in-law. He's he's got a really unique perspective on an interesting neighborhood in Pittsburgh." Um, at the time, I knew a little bit about Pittsburgh, um, you know. So we got connected. I remember thinking after I heard your story that, it, like, it almost sounded too good to be true. What you what you'd stumbled upon. So um, maybe maybe give us that story because I love it, and and maybe just get us started with kind of the, the the bakery business you were running at the time and how you you more or less found your way into where you're at, you know, currently. Right on. So I'll give you the condensed version, but I moved to Pittsburgh Super Bowl Sunday 2006 to work for a family office and run their venture capital fund and did that until the zeros fell off the page of the economy in 2009 and decided to start a bakery with my wife. And we literally worked a block from our house, started something retail. And when we when we left it in 2013, we're supplying 142 supermarkets. So really learned kind of the mean streets of running a business. I'm a political scientist. I have no discernible skills. I work for the federal government. Really don't have a right to be a real estate developer, but I'm trying to figure it out. And, you know, I always, I always felt that Pittsburgh had a real estate moment. And so we took, um, we took what we made from the bakery and I decided to learn. So I did some consulting with a group here in Florida. I worked with some local real estate developers. There's not really a class you can take to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's tried to connect with best in class people who I, I respected. And uh, after three years of going to real estate school, decided to branch out and start Atlas and do it on my own. And it, my thesis is number one, Pittsburgh is not a city. We're a loose confederation of 90 principalities. We're a very neighborhood oriented place. And it always amused me how outsiders would come to town and they wouldn't understand that the left side of the street is worth investing in and the right side of the street is completely different. And there was a neighborhood in particular that many of my employees at the bakery lived in. And when it was cold or late, I'd drop them off and, and take them home instead of uh, have them take the, the trolley or the bus. And uh, I'd be exhausted. I'd drive up there. But it was always a unique neighborhood. Um, it's got a streetcar. You know, I don't know many East Coast cities that still have streetcars running up and down the the main street of the neighborhood and said, you know, one day if I get into real estate, I want to come explore this place. So um, I went to Washington for three weeks, pulled the census data on Pittsburgh and lo and behold, there was a real intersection between the neighborhood that I thought I knew and uh, a true development potential. Millennials are moving in and things are happening. So uh, we decided to plant our flag and make uh, the neighborhood of Beachview where we do our stuff. 
Yeah, and it, it was a it was a super interesting story when I heard it. Kind of not to get too deep into the wood weeds, but you know the commercial properties got gotten tied up into some crazy kind of story of a, a previous developer who fled the country and and the city couldn't get the properties back, and you were able to put all the pieces together and, and help the city kind of work things out and also start to turn the neighborhood around. Um, and, and I do think one of the, the cool things about this neighborhood, what I said earlier, of like it almost seemed too good to be true. It's it's got the streetcar, the public transportation running right down the main street. It's what seven or eleven minutes to downtown Pittsburgh on that on that public transportation, which is I think relatively reliable in terms of public transportation. But also a, a ton of cool housing stock that's just just ripe for uh, for investment. Yeah, look, it's a low density neighborhood, twelve minutes from the heart of downtown of, yep. a, of a major American city. So, you know. Is it too good to be true? Everything is always different in reality when you start to dig in and do things. But I think that you know one could always argue it's about location, location, location. And if you're a 12-minute ride on reliable transportation to the commercial heart of a of a large American city, there's there's a lot of good stuff that can be done. Yep. So so you got you got kind of the business off the gr- off the ground. What what are you guys looking like today in terms of number of doors um, and kind of what are the plans for the for the next couple of years? Yeah, so it's been a three-year struggle as we learn how to do this and figure out how banks do and don't want to participate and how lending does and doesn't work. But uh, I'm happy to say at the end of basically 36 months of of uh, sweat, toil, and grit, we've got a 70-unit portfolio. We're not flippers. Um, we decided that right now, basically flipping to ourselves to hold in rent was the right play. And so um, we have a portfolio of 70 doors 26 multifamily, uh, the rest, we have a few commercial buildings, but mostly single family uh, residential properties. And our plan for the next uh, 12 months is to uh, grow that portfolio by another uh, 90 doors if we can do it. Got it. So you got the machine, we got the machine running now. The machine is running now. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a good feeling. Um, it is. In a lot of ways, we've, we've got you to thank for, for, you know, bringing us to Pittsburgh. I think you were, you were, if not the first, one of the first clients that we started working with in Pittsburgh. And it's, it's for us been a great market. We, we like it. We're super bullish on it. We obviously have a big presence in Cleveland. So we're also, you know, close to it, you know, but I, I caught one of these lists the other day, you know, the best and worst places for housing or, or to be an investor or something like that. And, and Pittsburgh was on the list that you don't really want to be on in terms of like good list, bad list. I didn't agree with everything that, that that was said in there. And I know you've got some really interesting data and I use Pittsburgh a lot when I speak on panels is kind of like, you can't always just look at the headline data, um, you know, cause you might be missing something. Give it, give us some of those facts or some of the reasons that, you know, you're, you're super bullish on, on the Pittsburgh market. So first of all, I'll tell you, I think when we met, it was Matt, John and a laptop was the name of your company. <laughs> And, something uh, like that, yep. <laughs> something like that, right? And yeah. <laughs> you know, I was excited to call in the other day, and it's no longer your voice on the uh, welcome system. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think both of us are uh, are growing our businesses and learning, and uh, we're really excited to get you guys into Pittsburgh. I, I think the highlight is that um, what you read in studies and what you see journalists print is a great representation of the way we wanted to look at things in the past. They're always just like appraisers catching up. Yeah. Um, but if you're on the ground and you're actually doing things and looking at the data every day and seeing what's reality, you realize there there's a completely different story on what's happening now 
versus what people think is happening. And I think that's where developers can really play a role because we exist in the world of the arbitrage between what's perceived and what's true. And that's where um, a developer can come in and make a difference. I, I don't think that developers can make things happen, right? We can't make neighborhoods safer. We can't make neighborhoods more affordable. We can't make neighborhoods gentrify if that's what we want to do. But we can find neighborhoods that are getting safer, getting more affordable, gentrifying, whatever, and accelerate it and catalyze it. Sure. Um, so, you know, I look to neighborhoods where there's something going on. And if I can spend eight hours a day, seven days a week, uh, joining forces and being the action arm of that movement in a neighborhood, there, there's a really good story there, I think, for the developer and for the, for the neighborhood. So, so let's talk a little bit about, about, about that, right? And I think the big thing that, you know, these, a lot of these studies look at is, uh, you know, net immigration, right? Are people moving into the city or moving out of the city? And a lot of the, the Rust Belt cities, Pittsburgh being one of them, you know, while it's well, the, the the outflow of people has certainly slowed since the '80s and '90s and maybe early 2000s. There still tends to be people, more people moving out of those cities than moving into them. Which you know, on the surface, makes it look like, man, that's going to be that's going to be difficult for housing. Why why do we think maybe that's not the case in Pittsburgh, or maybe not? It is the it is the case, right? The data the data is the data, but why do we think maybe it's not necessarily a a, a bad thing? You know. Data's never wrong. I think that sometimes it's just viewed in a lens that's that's perhaps contrarian. So uh, I'll give you an example. Post-2010, Pittsburgh leveled out, right? Yep. We might still be losing population. I agree, okay? Shave off the 65 and older demographic of our city, which is where we're losing our population, and Pittsburgh's growing at about 18% annually. Who are we growing? 27 to 35 year olds, yep. right? We're retaining that tech R&D talent, postgraduate school students that stick around. So I don't always think the story of a city, particularly the post-industrial cities in the Midwest, is um, necessarily growth. I think it's evolution. Yep. So if I could take someone who's living off a fixed income, they're 80 years old, they can't fix their gutters, they can't salt their sidewalk, they can't mow their lawn, and they live in a house by themselves – and I can replace them with three millennials who live together in a home and triple the household net income of that property and work downtown and pay taxes and are contributing members of the city. There's a real growth story there, right? I mean, even though we haven't added population, the median income of Pittsburgh has tripled in the past 10 years. Yep. So you can't tell me that's not growth. Um, the number of residents with a college degree in the city of Pittsburgh has grown 33% in 10 years. So you can't tell me that's not growth. Yep. And I think, you know, folks are always stuck on growth solely as, as bodies, people moving to a city. Look, Matt, baby sale, uh, strollers and baby paraphernalia sales are up 40% year over year, 2017 to 2018 in Allegheny County. <laughs> right. So unless there's some guy with a stroller fetish, which I don't think there is, <laughs> right? The, the data tells me that, that we're a growing population and changing, not in the conventional way. I'll, I'll give you a weird statistic. There's a slide at the park in our neighborhood called Blue Slide Park. Mac Miller wrote a song about it. It's kind of a famous thing to go and see. When we moved to town and we first had our daughter, I waited in line for about five minutes every time I wanted to go down. Uh -huh. we, wait, we wait 15 to 20 minutes to go down it now. Must be a great slide. 
It's a great slide. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And um, when I think you're, you're starting to hit on what I'm hitting on, right. Is like, yeah. um, you know, just, just catching the headline of population, population shrinking, you know, world coming to an end in some of these cities, I think misses the mark a little bit. Cause you gotta, you gotta look a layer deeper, which you hit on is, is what type of the population is moving in in Pittsburgh. And I think a lot of the Midwest cities you're seeing the, you're seeing the, the, uh, the older cohorts, if you will, either, you know, move south full time or, um, you know, transfer their properties to their kids upon their passing. And, and uh, the result of that is you've got, as you said, someone on a fixed income that's retired being replaced with someone that's likely earning two, three, four times uh, what that fixed income was. The net effect of all of that is, is still right. Um, positive economics, positive GDP growth for, for the, for the area. It is, you know, there was an article on the front page, I think it was last Thursday of the Post-Gazette here in Pittsburgh that said, uh, we had been surpassed by Sacramento, California. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay. Oh no. Um, So, so here's the story, right? Sacramento, California has been growing the bounds of its city for, from, I mean, last year, it expanded the bounds of the city, right? Pittsburgh hasn't expanded the bounds of its city since 1911, okay? So, yes, Sacramento getting larger, sure, because the city's growing and it's, 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 yep. it's absorbing suburbs and exurbs. Pittsburgh isn't. Yep. And, you know, in these post-industrial cities, a lot of times they don't give you the statistics by city. And I, I know this gets a little data wonky, but I think it's a really important thing to understand, they compare the city of Sacramento with the statistical market of Pittsburgh, right? So they weren't comparing city to city. They were comparing the city of Sacramento to the county of Allegheny. Now, the county is losing people left and right. That's true. People are dying off and people aren't moving out into the county, into the suburbs. But if you yeah. compare city to city, which is a far more accurate you know, comparison, it just tells a completely different story of growth. And... Um, your I arch think, rival like, Sacramento. Sacramento. Arch rival Sacramento. That's <laughs> right. We'll give him a wedgie. Um, <laughs> you know, right? And I think that folks have a narrative that they want to prove. Yeah. Which is that the, the, the Midwest, the post-industrial cities are dying and everyone's moving to the coasts. So they manipulate statistics to, to fit that narrative. And that's fine for them. Um, yep. I'm perfectly happy to let them believe that because it creates real opportunity for me. And uh, it, it allows me to do what I do every day. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's another thing that we really like about Pittsburgh. And generally, we like we like supply constrained markets. And and let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the, the the natural barriers, if you will, that make Pittsburgh the Pittsburgh's footprint, you know, somewhat constrained. Right? It is what it is. It's not like it's you can you can move out to the suburbs. But tell tell the listeners a little bit about why like. One that's challenging if you work downtown and what that's leading to in terms of, you know, increased demand in the city. I mean, the best way I can explain it is we all live in a bucket, right? We're, we're a city that's ringed by, by hilltop ranges. It's not, it's not, um, it's not smoky mountains, but, uh, they're large enough geographically to where the only way in and out of the city is a tunnel or a bridge. Yep. And so, um, you have these real, choke points <clears throat> that, uh, that constrain your mobility and living out in the suburbs, just commuting into the city is inherently going to be a 20 to 30 minute process. 
Yep. Right. As everybody reduces down to one lane and comes into the city. So I'm a big believer in urbanism. I think that's the way millennials um, and the next generation want to live. We've noticed that a lot of empty nesters are leaving the suburbs and moving into the city. And um, so because we're geographically constrained, you know, we really can't expand the city. It's sort yep. of for what we are. So the real key to what's going on is going to be density. Yep. Right. Um, and I think that's the story of Pittsburgh and, and, and density has a lot to do with our work, right? Like we said, if we can take a, a house that's being lived in by a, by 80 year old, uh, likely a, a widow and replace that with three early 30 somethings who are working for a tech company in San Jose and log onto their computer every morning, to go to work, you know, we're densifying the city. You don't have to increase the built urban environment to grow the number of people who live in the city. Yep. Yep. And I think just I'm singing Pittsburgh's praises, but I think you guys have a lot of unique things going on. And you mentioned it earlier around like the city of Pittsburgh being more a loose confederation of, of what is it? 88 or 90 kind of towns. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really cool for, for, for people that haven't been to Pittsburgh, paint, paint more of a picture of what that actually looks like, right? Like each one of these 80, 80 or so, you know, downtowns or neighborhoods, has a downtown district business district. It's a commercial district. It's a bit higher density. There's shops, there's restaurants, there's bars, or at least potential for all of those things. But then a street or two away, right? You've got single family housing with a front and backyard and, and um, a nice place to live. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, the way I explain it to everybody is imagine if your city consisted of 90 Brooklyn's. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's a really weird phenomena, but because the city was built when it was, and because of the multiple ethnicities that lived in the city, you know, the Ukrainian neighborhood had a Ukrainian grocery store, a Ukrainian bank, a Ukrainian church. The a Slovakian neighborhood had a Slovakian church and a Slovakian grocery store and a Slovakian bank. And so each of these neighborhoods, you can live in Pittsburgh like you do in Manhattan, right? I'll take public transportation to work downtown in the financial district. But when I come home at night, I can trade my loafers for flip-flops and walk to pretty much anything I want. And uh, that doesn't mean that I'm living in a brownstone or a multifamily building. I could be living in a single family house. I do. Um, And uh, I'm less than a block away from multiple restaurants and commercial things. So it's a city that's already built the way urbanists want to live. Yep. And uh, when you talk about reinventing that, it's almost impossible, you know, just, just right of way and rezoning, but the bones of Pittsburgh are set up for that. And what we need to do is just, again, continue to add density to the neighborhoods and allow more people to live in proximity to all this, all this great stuff that's happening. Totally. It's a, it's a super, super cool city that I I, I could have said it better. I think is, is exactly set up for the modern urbanism of, of folks that do want to have a little bit of space in a backyard and be able to barbecue, but also wants want to be able to walk to the coffee shop or a bar or restaurant. Um, there's 88 of these little micro cities within the city of Pittsburgh, which is, I've been to a lot of cities. I've not seen any other city that has that. I think it's, I think it's one of the, the coolest features of what you guys got going on there. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So let's get to the, the juice of the show here. So the theme is real estate investing unscripted, as you know, things happen, right? You guys are good planners. Um, you've got an architect even on your team, so you're probably better planners than most. Um, but, but no matter how well we plan, right, things eventually just come up. Um, talk us through one of those scenarios and kind of what you learned from it and, and what it was and how you, you worked, worked out and got to a resolution, if you got to a resolution. You know, um, 
I think our learning is a little broader than one specific thing, but it, it, it plays a lot as to why our relationship with fund that flip matters so much. Um, entrepreneurs are inherently bullish, right? We believe in ourselves. And if someone says we can't do it, well, you know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. But I'll tell you something. It is clear that this industry is set up for three years. What I mean by that is if you're new to the game or if you're trying a different sector of real estate for the first time, investors, banks, uh, even, even the communities we live in want to see three years of track record. Mm. And I think that I was overly optimistic that we could overcome that gravity, right? We know what we're doing. Like you said, I have an architect on the team. I've got a great partner. We have a history of financial success. And it was very interesting to see that when we got into this business of single family renovation, uh, taking pre-World War II houses and renovating so they're relevant for today's millennials, the bank said, well, you're starting at zero. And no matter what we tried to do to get a local bank or a financing partner or deal with a post-2008 Dodd-Frank kind of banking world, it just, it wasn't there for us. And so, um, you know, like graciously, let's, let's, let's throw a bone to fund that flip. We went long on a lot of loans with you guys. Um, And I think what mattered is number one, having a partner, that's truly customer service oriented. You know, you guys were there with us. You were visiting the city. You were seeing what was going on. You understood that while we were taking time, um, we were a good bet and gave us the space and time. And I I don't even know what you were enduring on your end with your own investors. Um, But, you know, it's exciting. Over the past four weeks, we've closed almost $4.8 million of refinances that have now paid off all the loans that we had with you guys, saved the the new round of basically maybe one or two month old loans that we've started. But I would, I would advise anyone looking to get into this business that you can watch HGTV and it looks like something that you can do in your spare time. (laughs) Um, But if you're really looking to create thing of, of scale, which I would advise anyone to take that approach on one or two properties, the management headache alone is, is difficult. So if you're going to do this, you know, you need to take an approach that you're going to do it to scale. Um, understand that you need three years of capital, right? You need three years of capital and you need debt partners that are willing to stand by the, for almost, almost three years. And I think that was my biggest learning. And it, it's why companies like Fund That Flip exist. Um, I think they fill a critical space. But um, our ability to exit was definitely a, a, a big surprise of learning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I think, uh, I, I think I, I learned, you know, I, I, I remember when I first got into real estate investing myself, I was like, oh, it's a quick and easy way to make a buck. And you know, I couldn't have, I couldn't have been more wrong. Right. This is, this is a, not a, a get rich quick kind of business to be in, despite how easy HGTV seems to make a, a house flip happen in an hour <laughs> yeah. uh, or a half hour or whatever it is. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Taking taking a long term view on this business, I think, is super important. It's it's one of the things that helped us has helped us get to where where we are. I'm curious just to follow up on that. Why, why do you why do you think that is with kind of the banks and and really anybody of like you know it's it's kind of like a, sh- a show me first approach. Why, why why do you think that that is the case in this in this? I've got my own ideas, but I'm curious about what yours are. Yeah, right on. So look, I'll circle back on the point that you just made. 
I think the evening I started Atlas, I turned to my wife and I said, good news, right? We don't have a source of income and we don't have a ton of capital. So I'm going to get into real estate, which will immediately solve all of that. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> yep. you know, thank God she's still with me. Um, but uh, that's just not how it works. And, you know, I think that banks were always inherently conservative Mm-hmm. Right. You know, bankers are not the ones giving you new ideas. They're looking to get involved in ideas that work and help you expand the the, the volume. They, they provide leverage. That's, that's mm-hmm. what it means. I think that post 2008, um, with all the regulations that Dodd-Frank has layered on top of them, even if they want to be creative to the extent a bank can, uh, the amount of, of hoops you have to jump through and the amount of paperwork you have to produce and the timing uh, on which they operate simply isn't the timing that the business operates. I mean, I can't put a property under contract for 90 days and expect it to still be there when a bank is ready to finally close. Um, So I think there's federal regulation. I also think that the asset class itself, right? Single family homes are now the most coveted rental asset in the United States. Um, You know, folks lived in multifamily, but now they want to live in single family because they want the backyard for their dog. Um, they want to live in proximity to things, but they don't want to live in that multifamily apartment. And banks are just catching on to the fact that even though there's lots of roofs and there's a lot of complexity to it, there's really something going on here. So I can't tell you the number of times we've heard, we'd love to make a loan to you guys, but our regulators tell us that we're just too exposed to single family rentals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that's a big one. And um, it's still kind of a new asset class, right? In terms of institutionalizing it, single family rent, the single family rental asset class wasn't really thought of even as an asset class prior to, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, when, you know, some of the big guys came in and made it one. I think we got a little bit of that going on for sure. I, I agree. I mean, look, nobody thought of you, you know, you had a chicken in your pot, a car in your garage and a home that you owned. <laughs> and, um, you know, until until uh, the big guys and the, the huge hedge funds came down and vacuumed up single family homes in Florida, yep. and them to rental, it was almost unheard of. Right. And so I think just understanding that even though it worked in Florida and it did, it can work elsewhere, too. And, um, you know, my belief on Pittsburgh, Florida had that kind of jam up in the market because the economy collapsed. So you had foreclosures that were, you know, and, and folks who had been foreclosed upon. So that doesn't make a market. In Pittsburgh, it's really interesting. We have uh, 85-year-olds who are going to who are gonna basically time out of their home. And you've got millennials that don't want to own a home. So, I mean, we're looking at 50,000 units of housing coming on the market in the next five to 10 years. And I can assure you there are not 50,000 buyers. Yep. So, you know, I, I think... And, and, and to just to make that distinction, just because there's not 50,000 buyers doesn't mean there's not 50,000 units of demand, right, for that housing, right? You nailed it. They may right? be buyers, they're, they're renters. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we're seeing it, right? We're seeing rents go up and up and up and up. And we're seeing appreciation for the properties that we own go up and up and up. Um, but it's not because it's a normal market. It's because we're filling a niche. Yep. Where we're doing exactly what they did in Florida, right? Yep. We're taking single family owned properties, converting them to rentals, modernizing them, and uh, really taking advantage of the market. 
Very cool. Well, this is, uh, appreciate, appreciate the time, Daniel, and the story. I always enjoy hearing it. Um, <clears throat> listeners want to get a hold of you or check out what you guys are doing. Are you running a Facebook page or an Instagram page, or do you have an email that you like to share? What's the best way for people to kind of, uh, maybe get a, a, a bit more information about what's going on with, with Atlas and, and the neighborhood you guys are working in. Yeah, look, let's, let's just get in touch. Um, you can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at atlasdevelopment.co, C-O. So it's A-T-L-A-S-D-E-V-E-L-O-P-M-E-N-T.co. And uh, I'm always game for conversations. I love people who are contrarian and want to challenge me. I'd rather learn something on, uh, on paper then once I own the thing and I'm in the middle of a renovation, so I don't hesitate to reach out. Come to Pittsburgh. Come to, come to Pittsburgh. Let us know if you want to go to Pittsburgh. We're out there quite often. I, again, I can't, uh, I can't overstate how, I, how cool I think that market is and the opportunities that are there. So um, if, there, if there is one takeaway, I think, from the show is, is uh, check out Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'll uh, tell you what, anyone that wants to come, I'll take them to a baseball game and buy them a permanent sandwich. Well, listen, Daniel, really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks. Thanks so much again for sharing some of your insights. Thanks for the time. And thanks for all the great business together. We look forward to really uh, doing a lot more in the next 12 months. and We're excited to see where it goes. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for the business. And thank you all out there for listening to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. For more great resources or to get funding for your next project, head on over to fundthatflip.com. Otherwise, I look forward to next time. Your host, Matt Rodak, signing off. <laughs> 